Good morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. And we welcome persons of all religions, ethnic and racial origins, sexual orientations, abilities, and other circumstances. We bid you welcome. Who come with troubles that are too much with you? Who come hurt and afraid? We bid you welcome. Who come with hope in your heart? Who come with anticipation in your steps? Who come proud and joyous? We bid you welcome, who are seekers of a new faith. Who come to probe and to explore? Who come to learn? We bid you welcome, who enter this hall as a homecoming. We have found here room for your spirit, who find in this people a family. Whoever you are, whatever you are, wherever you are on your journey, we bid you welcome. Richard S. Gilbert. Please join me now in affirming our mission, which is written in your order of service, and also, of course, on the wall. Here at First UU, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Hello, everyone. It's so nice to be back up here. I'm so enjoying my role as your new interim director of Lifespan Religious Education. Such a mouthful. (laughs) Thank you. And I am still a candidate for Unitarian Universalist Ministry, and I itch to be in the pulpit as often as possible. So I'm so happy to greet you this morning standing right here. And I would like to uh, present this morning's reading. This is by a fella named Theodore Waddell. And it's entitled, The Life-Saving Station. On a dangerous sea coast, where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was no more than a hut, and there was only one lifeboat. But the few devoted members kept, kept constant watch over the sea. With no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to be associated with the station and give their time, money, and effort to support the work. New boats were bought and new crews were trained and the little life-saving station grew. Some of these new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that Their proud building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who were saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds, proper beds, and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering spot as it was so comfortably furnished. And, it, and its members would decorate it beautifully and furnish it exquisitely because it became sort of their club. And fewer members were interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. So they hired lifeboat crews to do this work for them. 
The life-saving motif, of course, still prevailed in the club's decor, and there was a memorial lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatload after boatload of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them were foreigners. The beautiful new club was in chaos. Immediately, the property committee hired someone to rig up a shower outside of the club where victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside their nice clubhouse. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club's membership. Most of the members wanted to stop life-saving efforts immediately because they felt so unpleasant and they were a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. A small number of members insisted upon life-saving missions as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still, in fact, still called a life-saving station. The small group's members were voted down. The small group of members who insisted upon life-saving activities voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could go down the coast and build their own life-saving station. They did. As the years went by, however, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old station. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was built. History continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that seacoast today, that dangerous seacoast, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore, beautiful architecture and beautifully furnished. Shipwrecks do still frequently occur in those waters, but most of the passengers and the sailors aboard simply drown. Please join me in the spirit of prayer and meditation. Spirit of life and of love, God of many names, you call us to a life lived in loving community, a life of justice-making, of wonder and awe of the beauty that surrounds us each day, a life of gratitude for all of our blessings, a life of good, We bring our love, our works, our intentions, our awe and our gratitude to this day, as well as our pain, our concerns, our daily struggles, our shortcomings, our brokenness to this time and this place. It is with these, our whole selves, that we endeavor to be together, to celebrate to heal, to mourn, and to create. And we do this in the name of all that is. Amen. Please join me in this moment of silence in which we can lift up our whole selves, our joys, and our sorrows into the air and into this space together.
And with that, we say amen. (laughs) The candles along the window are there for you to do just that. Light one in with the thought of one of your joys or sorrows that you have walked in this space with, that you've carried throughout the week. And let the flame carry it up into our shared air so that it may become our very breath and we may celebrate and mourn with you and so that you'll feel less alone. May it be so. A couple of years ago, I officiated the wedding of one of my dearest friends. It was a fun trip back to Austin from California, where I was living at the time. And I got the chance to catch up with some of my friends whom I hadn't seen since high school and to meet their spouses. At the rehearsal dinner, I was asked by the wife of a longtime friend to describe the church that I'm affiliated with. She had never before heard of Unitarian Universalism and asked question after question with much enthusiasm. It was as if she had long thirsted for a liberal religion such as ours and was at last being offered a sip. After a while, she said, Wow! This church sounds so great. It must be the fastest growing religion in America right now. Yeah, it's funny. (laughs) Her statement caused me to consider that as Unitarian Universalists, we do have a great message that much of the nation is thirsty for. And we should be growing at a much faster rate. In a May interview last May um, in the, with the Florida paper St. Petersburg Times, our president of the Unitarian Universalist Association of Congregations, or UUA as we call it, Peter Morales, he echoed this. He said, I believe, because I have experienced it for years, that many people today are hungry for liberal religious community. He says, hungry, I say thirsty. For a spiritual home, he says, where they may grow in depth, form strong bonds of community, raise children with strong values, and join with others to help heal our broken world. Our greatest challenge, he says, is to realize our potential and our calling. Why aren't we growing faster? Do we not? Realize our potential and our calling, as Morales claims. We know it isn't because we don't like meeting new people or because we're a secret society that we've taken some oath to protect. These are ridiculous statements because, of course, they're far from the truth. We love when new people come to our congregations. We love meeting like-minded people. A lot of us love meeting not like-minded people as well. Yet countless times, I've heard new members of one of our congregations or another joyfully state, I've been Unitarian Universalist my whole life, I just didn't know it. The delight in this statement comes from arriving at a familiar place, a place where one's whole self has potential to be accepted where we may bring the depth of our emotions and the joys and sorrows that life offers, as well as our curiosity and our intellect. 
In other words, a place where we're comfortable, surrounded by people who get us. Perhaps more than other circles that we move about in during the week. Perhaps more than our families of origin. In essence, to make that all-too-common statement of finally discovering that there exists a name for one's deepest beliefs and values, Unitarian Universalism, and that there are loving communities who gather together to live out these values and beliefs, to make that statement must feel like coming home. It must feel like a spiritual, theological, a social, or even perhaps a political homecoming. I use the words must feel because I did not discover Unitarian Universalism in my adulthood. I have the privilege to say that I was raised UU, claiming to be Unitarian during my terrible twos. Even, and they were terrible, my poor mom, even deciding that one day I would only eat Unitarian food, whatever that is. I don't know, tofu or something, I don't know. (laughs) But although UUism was not a discovery of my adulthood, I too feel as if I have come home when I'm in the company of UUs. This is the place where I may bring my heart as well as my mind and find myself in similar company. It's the place where my questions are met with interest rather than a quick, memorized answer. It's the place where my life and my family are met with acceptance rather than condemnation. This is the place where I may join hands with others to say, take my soul's desire for justice out into the world. I'm happy to be home. My mother was happy to find herself at home in Unitarian Universalism as well. In the early 80s, she and my father somehow discovered the congregation in San Antonio, Texas, First Unitarian Universalist Church of San Antonio, I don't remember that part of the story, but I do know that they were excited about the social justice bend as they originally met amidst their mutual involvement in the 1970s Chicano Civil Rights Movement. And they appreciated that they were allowed to challenge the aspects of their Catholic upbringings that did not serve them anymore, didn't make sense to them. Once in a while, they would begin to miss the ritual, requiring more heart space than head space. They would return to Mass. As I was reaching preschool age, it was evident that their marriage would not last. They dutifully attended a few marriage counseling sessions with their local priest. But after the truth of my father's infidelity surfaced, and he left, my mother her heart in a million pieces, sought comfort in a solo meeting with their priest. That following Sunday, she attended Mass with my brothers and I, hungry for a seat at the Lord's table, the ritual that had for nearly a lifetime 
assured her that she was close to God, that she could always pull up a chair, so to speak, and make herself at home as a member of God's family. As she made her way up to receive the communion host, the priest held up one finger and simply shook it. No, no. She returned to her seat, spiritually malnourished and feeling abandoned and judged by God. Her sin, a failed marriage. I asked her about this story and she said, very few things have ever hurt me so much. I asked her if it would be okay to share such a personal story in a sermon and she urged me to saying that others should know how this faith saved her, but that she only wishes that the priest could hear it as well. The message of love over judgment, of acceptance over damnation. I asked her how it felt to return to the UU church after this experience, and these were her words. She said, it felt like I was still a child of God. Not just alone out there in a big ocean with nothing. I felt accepted and clean and surrounded by wisdom and clear thinking. The universalist and Unitarian acceptance, freedom, and reason, it saved my mother from despair, from believing fully that she was unworthy of divine love. Yes. This religion saves. In general, we UUs do not often use the term saved in tandem with religion because we've grown accustomed to hearing it in conjunction with those who use it to denote their worthiness of eternal life while others are to burn in hellfire's misery. But I believe that it's high time that we liberal religious folk reclaim such powerful language and place our more positive God-equals-love spin on it. I once co-preached a a sermon with the Reverend Jim Nelson, senior minister of Neighborhood UU Church of Pasadena, California, one of the churches that I served while intern. And he used the phrase, This religion saves lives several times over and over again within his homily. In the couple of weeks that followed, several church members asked me what I believed he meant by this, since he had repeated it so many times. I encourage those who ask me, of course, to ask him directly. But I did share that I believe UUism is life-saving in that we offer hope, love, and acceptance where others offer fear, damnation, and bigotry. This is what it means to be saved as a Unitarian Universalist. This is our brand of salvation. We do have life-saving potential, but have we become like that little life-saving station in the reading? Are we simply a social club that was once built for the purpose of saving lives? Or do we continue to actively rescue? 
This isn't a sermon on salvation. I'll do that one another time. This is a sermon about evangelism. (laughs) Evangelism assumes the possibilities of salvation. That we have a saving message that's worth sharing. We often confuse the words proselytize with evangelize, fearing that they are one and the same, and that engaging in either would put us in league with those religious zealots who pervert the divine into a hateful creature in need of both parenting classes and anger management, a real jerk. No, I'm instead advocating that we separate our understanding, understanding of evangelism spelled with a lowercase e, which simply means sharing the good news, from proselytizing. Separate those two. Proselytizing means attempting to convert. To share the good news that a faith such as ours even exists to evangelize need not and should not have any interest in persuading or coercing one to leave their faith home if they've found one. This goes against our commitment to a free and individual search for truth and meaning. No, I'm speaking instead of sharing, of being as out and open about our faith home as we are about everything else that's a source of goodness in our lives. There need not be embarrassment about what we have found here. There is a need for Unitarian Universalist evangelists. After all, I would venture to guess that many here today first heard about UUism through direct interpersonal communication with someone who had already found their way home. These conversations need not be awkward. For example, how many times have you engaged in small talk with a colleague or friends that began with, So, how was your weekend? Do anything interesting? And how often have you had an incredible experience at a church service or another congregational event? And after flipping through your past weekend in your head, you decide to omit the church stuff and just talk about your trip to the farmer's market instead or simply answer, oh, nothing. More than likely, the worst that will happen if you do mention church is an uninterested, oh, that's nice. But conversely, you may also receive a That sounds like a neat church. What did you say it was called again? Uni what? Conversations aren't the only way to invite newcomers in by sharing our faith. Actions often speak louder than words, especially when we're taking a stand against oppression as Unitarian Universalists. On July 29th of 2011 in Phoenix, Arizona, Almost 200 UUs from across the country in bright yellow t-shirts that read, Standing on the Side of Love, in collaboration with local Latino organizations such as Puente and the National Day Labor Organizing Network, stood up against the racist law against Latino immigrants, known as SB 1070, in a day of non-compliance. 
video footage I wasn't able to attend. I was doing my slave labor as intern. <laughs> but video footage on CNN and other networks captured images of the yellow t-shirts in every corner of the crowd. Of the 84 people arrested for civil disobedience during the demonstrations, almost 30 of them were UUs, including several ministers as well as our president, Reverend Peter Morales. The now infamous Sheriff Joe Arpaio has recognized Unitarian Universalists as a thorn in his side. <laughs> And the local Latino community and other justice-minded people have come to know us as well. At first, I'm told that UUs were referred to as the love people because of the standing on the side of love t-shirts that we wore while demonstrating. But now, no doubt, more are wanting to know who this church is, whose ministers will chain themselves to the entrance of Sheriff Arpaio's jail, preventing him from conducting his raids and tearing more families apart. Action, another form of evangelism. It may surprise some to hear that our universalist heritage has its roots deep in evangelism. As itinerant circuit riders preached a gospel of salvation in response to the hellfire and brimstone threatened by the conservative preachers of the Great Awakening. As we heard in the story for all ages, one such circuit rider, John Murray, came to expect threats of violence when he preached, and yet continued to spread his loving message. Once a brick came through the window at him as he, uh, aiming at his head as he spoke. He's largely credited as saying, go out into the highways and byways and give the people something of your new vision. You possess only a small light, but uncover it. Let it shine. Use it in order to bring more light and understanding to the hearts and minds of men and women. Give them not hell, but hope and courage. Preach the kindness and everlasting love of God. But Murray, as the story tells us, began as a reluctant evangelist. After his young wife and child died, he spent time in debtor's prison. This young former Methodist but un newly universalist preacher set sail from London for a new start in America. While stuck on that New Jersey sandbar, he met Thomas Potter who had built a chapel on his farm with the notion that God would send a preacher to spread the gospel of universal salvation. Murray protested, as we know, saying that he'd lost his faith and given up on preaching. But Potter convinced him to take it as a sign from God if the tide did not change come Sunday. As we know, still marooned come Sunday. Murray took to the pulpit to a packed house and became the most fearless voice for universalism across New England. A more contemporary evangelist among our ranks is the Reverend John C. Morgan. He says, I do believe that we have a saving vision that the world needs to hear and see. 
The best vehicle for evangelism is truly believing in our own vision and then living that vision among ourselves and in the wider world. We have such a deep and rich heritage, he says. We have a vision to share. Might we not one day say, as the Reverend George Rogers said in 1844, the friends call it a revival, and so it was. For why may not truth be revived as well as fanaticism? It is time for the courage of truth. We have an answer to the hateful rhetoric in our message of love and must let that voice be heard. We must name out loud the myriad ways in which this faith has transformed and, yes, saved our lives. There are so many diverse seekers in need of a place like ours to come home to. Let us be sure, let us be sure to not only set the table, but to send out the invitations as well. I'll ask you to rise for our benediction. We believe the giver of life has been given many names and loves the givers of all of them. That's our good news, and we're here to live it. We're more interested in getting heaven into people now rather than getting people into heaven later. That's our good news, and we are here to live it. Our religion is one of open doors, not sealed vaults, with new wisdom yet to be written. That's our good news, and we are here to live it. We believe in peace and justice. They are not just words we form with our lips, but realities that we shape with our lives. That's our good news, and we are here to live it. We believe we are one with the stars and trees and tigers and rivers and all the stuff of life. That's our good news, and we are here to live it. We believe our lives are about growing hearts that love, minds that seek, and hands that serve. That's our good news, and we are here to live it. Go in peace to carry this good news into the world through your words and in your lives. Amen. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.